Next on the Well of Sound... I'm trying to get a feeling out of what I'm thinking at the time, and sometimes one type of music is a better vehicle than another type of music to get this, uh, to get this out, so that's why I keep changing. And other times, what I'm thinking inside, I don't necessarily want to have right out there in front, you know, where I'm going... You know, this is what I think, you know, I'd rather have that be way back inside and have all this other stuff out front, so you really have to listen for a couple of years to figure out what it is I'm thinking, because I don't really want to push it down your throat. So, so that's music, you know, and the fact that I make music like that uh, is, you know, that I can be sued for being not commercial because I make music that I really don't want people to hear that much. That's you know? interesting, because I read a really interesting... My manager, <laughs> oh, was manager I'm sorry, I want to take that out. There's a no. This is a one-off episode. The idea is we just came off of recording a two-parter episode. We haven't done a two-parter before. We did it about... Um, With each part being longer than any single episode we've done. <laughs> just throw that out there, too. <laughs> so you guys, you guys will not have heard those uh episodes before we we do this which we spent four to five months preparing for <laughs> i mean like and, was... and knowing that it's gonna take me uh at least two months to edit these things we Easy. wanted to get you guys something fun before the end of the year um and as a result we're doing this quick uh well i don't we don't know how quick it's going to be but at least there's going to be minimal editing and no clips uh just music and us talking that's the idea here and what are we going to talk about lex we're going to talk about hated albums that we love so dave's going to talk about three albums uh that are maybe despised by some uh and i'm going to talk about three albums and we're going to switch off Mm. um and uh, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're going to see how it goes. This is an attempt at something more spontaneous. Yeah. Because we don't want to lose touch with our yeah. our muse while, while, you, <laughs> while you burrow through know. hours of Genesis material. I mean, it's, it, it is endless, the amount of Genesis clips. You know, I mean, it's, it's decades and decades of interviews um, to pour through. Uh, and there's great stuff, got to say. I can't, I can't We're imagine. still talking about Genesis and still listening to Genesis. Um, yeah. So, you want to start off or shall I? What's your first uh, album? 90s? It's in the eight, late 80s. Late 80s. Yes. Uh, I guess I'll go first because I have 1986. Okay, yep, you're in front of me. Um, and that album is called Landing on Water. By Neil Young. So infamous. Infamous. People hate this. I mean, of all the records we're doing today, I think this is probably the the most hated. So I actually didn't know that. I didn't know how hated it is. What do you What do you know about the uh, uh, well, Neil the emotion behind this? People. He's released a gazillion records, and yeah. he was known as releasing some some experiments in the eighties uh, that some of which worked, like trans there's a cult around and then there's like a you know there's everybody's rock and there's like a rockabilly record yep but then always landing on water is the one that's always like that's just a shit sandwich I mean, like it's it's nothing it's actually but, the same color scheme as shit sandwich <laughs> it's nothing but um but uh synthesizers and um it's just an experiment that has that i guess in his 
discography, I don't think it's been rehabilitated yet. So we're, right. we're so on the, we're, cutting, we're on the edge. cutting edge. Oh my gosh. Even he calls it a pile of crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, backing up a little bit, uh, Neil Young in at the beginning of the eighties, uh, signed on to Geffen records. Um, and I guess David Geffen was a manager for CSN. Uh, why? He was early on Asylum Records. I think that it was all he Geff- handled. Geffen them. was sort of he was instrumental in all of that the entire sound. So you know, uh, fast forward to the eighties. Geffen now has this um, you know impressive label, and I would imagine I I, I don't know the the details, and I'll say that in advance. I I'm I'm definitely fumbling my way through this, just going by by gut and and what I've been attracted to. So I I'm not by any means a massive Neil Young fan. In fact, you know, because he has this giant catalog, mm-hmm. I feel like there are albums that I've never heard. Um, I've, of course, heard the big ones. Um, uh, but there are albums that I have yet to discover. And for me, this was one that I found really, really interesting. So, um, but anyway, uh, so I feel like Neil Young was probably kind of a get for, for Geffen. Um starting this this new label um and so as you said uh trans comes out in uh i think like 82 or 83 then everybody's rocking and by that point both of which are are experimental yeah and geffen uh sues neil young because for him, him he's providing non-representative content. If I, if I'm Create. correct, I haven't done any research on this. No, that's correct. Because he, the late '70s, he's coming off of uh, you know, uh, Russ Never Sleeps, which was an enormous hit. Yeah. And Geffen's probably thinking, oh, we're going to get more of that, and he did not get more of that. No, um, I guess he was. He's digging craft work. Um, he also is uh he has a son with cerebral palsy um and is it is looking into um ways of communicating with his son um in in new and experimental ways and so that's influence influencing his choices uh as well um so we get trans which is synth driven and as you said very culty um pretty popular in in retrospect in that way um everybody's rocking i i don't know that much about but i am aware it's this rockabilly Ooh, it record stinks, man. it does it and then he does he has one called old ways which is a return to country yeah so those are three albums and by that point um just none of it's what his audience wants everybody's baffled by it especially geffen who are are panicking i guess neil young countersues um and by the time 86 rolls around and Landing on Water shows up, uh, this this issue between Young and Geffen has been resolved. But I don't think the bad blood between the executives, the executives at Geffen and Young has has been resolved. I think it just it continues to linger. Um, also, did you know this? I just discovered this when I was researching uh, in 82, sort of as part of this giant experimental phase for Neil Young. Yeah. He does a movie called Human Highway. 
really? I mean, I know that that's that was the lost. That was the title of a lost CSNY uh, record that never came out. But it was a song of his, "Human Highway." I think. Sorry. I okay. Think he he makes a movie called "Human Highway." He makes a comedy movie. It's co-directed by Neil Young um, under a pseudonym, which is Bernard Shakey. Uh, Dean Stockwell, who just recently passed, um, Al from Quantum Leap, and mm. um, many other uh, cult uh, hits, uh, co-directed. He's in it. Uh, Dennis Hopper's in it. And Devo is also in it. It's this wild sort of Alex Cox, uh, John Waters-esque, like, pop rock comedy about, like, um, the nuclear apocalypse. Really? Yeah. I can't believe I've never heard of this movie. I hadn't heard of it either. Have you watched? There, I'm sure I watched the clips. trailer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it's sort of it, it's not available for streaming that I found yet, but maybe folks have it um, out there. <laughs> so that's all precursor to this album, um, which Young is basically trying to find whatever this new sound is. He's clearly just trying to forge a path. So that the cover is. Uh, what you would see on the back of a airplane seat. It's the instructional, like what, what to do in case the plane goes down and, and what you do once you get out of the exit and you slide down the, the raft into the water, like yeah. those sort of cartoonish things. So he says, um, which he evidently, he was direct art director uh, as Bernard Shakey, also the, the pseudonym he used on, on the film. Um, he says the cover and the uh, and the title of that album, its direction on how to survive an unsurvivable thing, how to land on water in a jet that's crash crashing, the most ridiculous damn thing you've ever heard of. Uh, you're really landing on water where there's no clear floor underneath. Everybody dies. So he's got this sort of nihilistic viewpoint mm -hmm. taking on this this album that he's just. He doesn't give a shit anymore. He's right. sort of the end of his rope, and the, and uh, he's down to fail. So you think it's? Do you think? It, I mean, is is the conventional wisdom that Geffen was right to like he was trying to sabotage himself? I think wouldn't be this, the first to do that. Uh, I don't. I don't know that that's necessarily true when Geffen was suing him, but this is a reaction to that, and maybe he has come around uh, to thinking like, well. What happens if if <laughs> I I crash land into the sea? I read a review that said if Neil ever did a Grand Theft Auto Vice City soundtrack, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's hear uh, the first song, which I, which is what totally caught me. I, I, and I will admit that what I did was I was interested in listening to a Neil Young album one day, mm -hmm. and I found landing on water in the mid 80s and i went that looks interesting i've never heard it before i'm sort of myself going in targeting like what has to be the weirdest neil young album and it it clearly proves to be it's close to it yeah if not it yeah so here we go I
So what strikes me right away mm-hmm. after the two episodes that we've just been through, yeah, this is a drum forward synth sound that is clearly influenced by the popular sound of the time, which, which is Phil Collins and Genesis. Yes. Huh. Um, so that to me is interesting that he's embracing sort of a pop sensibility uh, and trying what is, you know, totally not uh, traditional 70s Neil Young. And then also what's happening, which I love and which we, we you guys will discover in these coming episodes, uh, this period in the mid 80s is midlife crisis central for all these 70s rockers. Yes, I guess so. I mean, they're all in their 40s. And I find that I, I find that fascinating. Late 30s. I guess because we're also we're in our mid 40s. <laughs> Why is that, Lex? <laughs> um, anyway, I'm really attracted to this sound. Um, and in that song, Weight of the World, he basically um, uh, makes fun of his 60s and 70s self he's he's sort of mocking this uh this hipster version of himself who was feeling the weight of the world not trusting his friends or his girlfriend and then he meets a new love who helps him release the the weight of the world um but there's more songs like that didn't there's a song on there i'm pretty sure because i've just been listening to this just a little bit because i i wanted to come in fresh um the song "Hippie Dream" yeah. isn't that basically a, a takedown of David Crosby? I just, it absolutely. Only is. thing I heard was like "Wooden Ships" didn't like get anywhere or something like that. It it's, was uh, "Wooden Ships are a hippie dream, capsized in excess." You know what I mean, <laughs> right? So it's we're in yuppie uh, uh, high water at this point. I love it, but though of course David Crosby did do great backup vocals on "Another Day in Paradise." <laughs> <laughs> by Phil Collins. <laughs> totally true. Who then returned the favor by giving him a song about something hero or something. Anyway, we never mentioned that on our episode. Wait, what was that? He wrote a song, Phil Collins wrote a song for David Crosby that he put on his like uh, comeback record that oh. also had a Jimmy Webb song on it. I think it's called Hero. Okay. It sounds exactly like a Phil Collins song. Anyway, right, be that as it may. Let's hear a Hippie Dream. Take my advice Don't Vice vibes on it. Yowza. So Young was just like producing and overproducing and uh, playing with this uh, synth exploration. I, you know, I find that stuff mm-hmm. like really easy to listen to, especially when there's a lot of attitude behind it. I mean, there is drive and purpose to this. He's basically like cutting down everything that came before in a sort of like punk rock way in fact he has a song called violent side which um even though he's aimless seemingly in the 80s you know he really taps into something in the 90s and becomes this punk uh uh sorry grunge rock uh godfather 
right? Um, and taps in. And, and That's violence. still a few years it's, away, though, because Keep on Rocking the Free World is on Freedom, which is at like 89, maybe? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and which kicks off his sort of his, grunge, exactly. father of grunge. Exactly. So Violent Side is, um, is starting to show that he's this... Uh, out, outwardly angry, not angry young man, but angry, angry. middle-aged man. You know, uh, Neil Young's one of my absolute favorite guitarists. Oh, really? Yeah, I, you know, I think of like just the great guitar solos of all time that I that I go back to. Uh huh. He he played a solo for all along the Watchtower at I think Bob Dylan's thirtieth anniversary or thirtieth yeah thirtieth anniversary of him performing that the the. the Traveling Wilburys sang, and everyone traded off verses for All Along the Watchtower. Oh, wow. Or I know they did for My Back Pages, but Neil comes out and does this All Along the Watchtower where he just is ferocious. And then there's a there's a, also a live version from the middle of the 80s that he plays of Like a Hurricane. It is a solo that just it's got everything that I want. I mean, there's sort of one note solos that he perfected. Yeah. Uh, but you, if you want to know what it's about, watch those videos. So th- that's actually, I remember as a kid when Rockin' in the Free World, you know, started to take over the, the airwaves and, and bring Neil Young back into, you know, people's consciousness um, as somebody you want to listen to. Um, that that sort of wailing chorus that he gets to in that, um, he he kind of gets going in that with those dark themes uh, with "Touch the Night," which is the main song, if not the only song from this album that gets that got radio play, huh. um, which I should play, and, and you you can hear that that chorus here. Out on the road, the traffic slowed down to a crawl. sort of anthemic chorus that he's got going on there's other good songs on, on there like bad news beat uh pressure is about sort of art versus com commerce and and dealing with geffen um and then drifter ends it but uh i i just wanted to read one quote he had about this album and sort of his mindset and he says there have to be peaks and valleys or it's boring that's the way things are even if it means temporarily sacrificing success, I don't really give a shit. 
<laughs> well, he's a pretty uncompromising guy. Yeah. I, think- I mean, to basically take on, uh, you know, whether it's, a, it's uh, a defense mechanism or whether he's actively choosing to create a failure, that's what he's doing here. He's experimenting and basically saying, I don't give a shit if it's bad. Well, I think it's um, I I by the way, my just two cents on the actual record yeah. landing on water is I like it. I like it too. I, I like, like it a lot. And I think that um, you know, I used to get it confused with Yuma because it has a oh. slightly similar cover, and Yuma is one of uh, his great sort of classic records with Cortez the Killer on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, landing on water would always be in, of course, the the, the bargain. Uh, oh bins. right. And um, but I don't think I ever really listened to it until this time, and I'm very glad I did. I yeah. like that drum forward sound, as we've established in the last the 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 epic length yeah. tour of of Phil Collins. But um, yeah, Neil is um, uh, I have a real soft spot for Neil. I I don't I I almost it'd be too daunting to try to do a, re- a full episode about him yeah I, I i i'm actually it makes me excited to to explore more albums that i just know i haven't heard so that'll be next well i'm sort of my my first record in this go round is is somewhat similar i think that one of the things that's going to tie this together yeah is the sort of ambitious failure yeah no and, that's ambitious true. flop like it's much I've always had a real soft spot for um, kind of ostentatious failures. You right. Know, like, you know, when we were talking about um, Paul Williams and we talked about uh, what was the film that uh, he was in that he wrote the oh, song. Phantom for, of the Paradise. Not Phantom of the Paradise. Well, that was a flops too, but. Um, uh, shoot, what's the movie about. That uh, he was in? No, that he wrote songs for, the, the famous flop in the 80s. Song. Oh, uh, Ishtar. Ishtar. Yeah. Like Ishtar, I find like super interesting. Right. Like, let's, yeah. let's, let's unpack that. Right. This one isn't quite that. The next two that I'll talk about yeah. are, but this first one is so the replacements are a big band for me. They're 1980s out of Minneapolis. Um, kind of really started out as a punk band. Paul Westerberg is the front man. Uh, Bob Stinson was the guitarist. Tom, his younger brother, Tommy Stinson, who was like, 14 at the time when they started really something like that he was the bassist and chris mars was the drummer and they built a career out of being completely um drunk basically they were they were uh, they took the sort of devil may care thing to a whole new level westerberg his favorite music of all time is the faces and you can tell huh I'd like uh, Tom Waits was talking about what he likes about the replacements. He said the replacements, they seem broken. You know, one leg is missing. I like that. <laughs> and uh, so Westerberg, uh, he can write songs, and he's got a great voice, like an amazing voice that you know is not like technically great, but it's yeah. it's kind of the archetypal uh, voice of those sort of midwestern rockers. Anyway, but they're they're they are self-sabotage self-saboteurs and um all across the line all down the line all across the line they never produce the one great record Uh uh-huh which Um, (laughs) i feel like we're gonna see coming up as well yeah yeah they have so they never quite get there some people say that let it be is is they have a record they named a record let it be i mean that gives you a sense of and their, it's like, not a cover attitude no it's not a cover of course not it's just called let it be and they're sitting there drinking beers on someone's roof on the cover okay and it's uh it's got these amazing songs on there but then it's got like tommy's got a boner 
on there and like uh, a song, a, so, a cover of Black Diamond by Kiss in the middle of the record. Oh, wow. I'll have to listen. It's a great cover. Anyway, they get signed to a major label uh, and they produce a record, Tim, which does very well. They, they go on SNL and they're so smashed when they play SNL. They change. Huh. They wear like each what other. era? Mid-80s? This is mid-80s. Okay. And they, they wear each other's clothes. They get banned for life from... from that's a badge. <laughs> it's actually really great to watch them play SNL. Um, but they're, you know, Bastards of Young, Left of the Dial. These are songs that people love. Then they make a record called Please to Meet Me. And I'm giving a really truncated history here, but they, they lose their guitarist, Bob Stinson, because he's... I mean, it's always the line between just guys that like to drink heavily and then, like, true alcoholism yeah. is sort of... Stinson clearly falls into that second part. Right. It doesn't help to tour and be in the nightlife and yeah. everything else. And he just is kind of ruining everything. Right. Uh, but they're still seen... They they make a record called Alex Chilton, but their, their, their <laughs> punk rock attitude is such that, like, they produce... Uh, videos for MTV, and it's like okay, literally three minutes of of a shot of their feet. I mean, oh wow, or, or like a speaker. That's what they do, right? So they're like they're have. It's not so much like angry middle finger music. It's more like we don't care about anything, and we're having fun at your expense. That's the replacements vibe, right? And are they what? What sort of is their following at in the moment at the time? They like, have a rabid following because uh-huh. you never know. I know they do now. Their records are their, their concerts were known as these high wire acts where it, they could be so bad uh-huh. and so good, and they were often right on the line. Yeah, right, right, just on the verge of falling right, apart. Which is fascinating to watch, I'm sure. Fascinating to watch. There's a show that was released called, of, of Maxwell's in 1986 that is a kind of the great document and and he would just break into a cover of nowhere man in the middle of a yeah you know of a or he'd do a david cassidy cover uh-huh. and an elvis presley cover and then they'd play you know within your reach which is or color me impressed which are these really great 80 songs anyway what happens is they decide uh the record companies like these jokers like they have to try and make it you know they have to try and do something right when you when you get a deal <laughs> You actually have to go into the studio and make a record that satisfies your, yes. bo- your bosses. We're sick of wasting money on these guys. Right. So they hire a producer, um, and uh, well, they decide basically they kick out Stinson, Bob Stinson. Not oh, Tommy they Stinson. fire him. They fire him. Okay. And they get a new guitarist called Slim Dunlap. That's his really his name, Slim Dunlap. Okay. And uh, they write and record a bunch of songs that call, and they and the record that comes out is "Don't Tell a Soul." It comes out in 1989. Okay, this is reviled by their fan base because what happens is the record company basically takes it and sends it to uh, Chris Lord Algae, uh, Algae Alge. I don't know how okay. to say his last name. To mix, he had worked with uh, Madonna. And worked with Bruce Springsteen, okay. possibly Bon Jovi. He was a, a hit doctor, right. you know, very much. And right. and what he did uh, with their music was he sort of layered on the reverb. Uh-huh. He mixed the drums up high. He slathered on echo yeah. and just gave it an 80s sound. Sure. Because um, that's his job. But that's his, jo- that's his job. Right. And the truth is it was amazing. So <laughs> they had one hit on there. It called I'll Be You. Well, let me play it. If it's a temporary love, while my boy ride out of my skull, 
rock writing right a lot of what people would say they 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 sanded the edge off of this music right. entirely right Bef- i could i could hear that maybe before it started westerberg's on record saying that like he's done with anger now his calling card is going to be despair <laughs> <laughs> um but they do they do do some big anthems that will inherit the earth but we don't want it oh. uh there's a song called aching to be um let me play a little bit of aching to be. She's kind of like an artist Sitting on the floor Never finishes, she abandons Never shows a soul And she's kind of like a movie Everyone rushes to see And no one understands it Sitting in that Opens her mouth to speak and But comes out to mystery Thought about, not understood She's aching to be It's a beautiful song And there are some rave-ups on there uh, But basically, they when it, once the record comes out They disown it <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, or at least uh, Westerberg himself poo-poos it publicly. I'll Be You, this one we just heard, well, not the one we heard before that, becomes a bit of a hit. Okay. It, and it do, is played on MTV. They, they they make an actual video for it where they're, you know, playing music. Um, and, you know, this guy who's brought in, um, he's kind of vindicated. Yeah. And yet they're, they're, they're not quite liked. and They're still a little too weird and a little too regular for the masses to get right, into them right but they've also kind of in the process lose their rabid fan base that loved the ramshackle okay barely holding it together replacements gotcha now i would say another thing we're dealing with here is like the the kind of uh, we've talked about it before like but the the piety of the 80s or of like the late 80s early 90s yeah that bleeds into grunge that sort of punk rock like you can't sell oh out. Yeah, yeah 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 like there's the man, you know, there's, there's, if it's pure, there's this idea about purity and like the commercial people suck. Right. You know, like basically Phil Collins is the worst on earth. Right. But if you're just recording it in your basement, this stuff that seems kind of quaint now, but I took really seriously when I was like 17. No, you believe, you believed it. I remember there's some story about Bell and Sebastian, like turning down their, their song being in Shrek. Um, (laughs) That now they obviously totally regret because they'd be richer for it. But at the time, that was like a big statement and and meant a lot to the fans. It was like an integrity thing or yeah. framed that well, way. Even remember Zeppelin like refused to turn down 
uh, being in commercials for the longest time and then they ended up being in a Cadillac commercial or something eventually, you know, in well, like the early 2000s. I do remember that. The Replacements were sort of the quintessential band that wanted to stand for nothing uh, but um, basically being a total bunch of kind of screw-ups. Yeah. And they didn't want anything corporate. Like that was... So it was seen as betrayal, but if you go back to it now and you just listen to the songs, yeah. they're awesome. Which is the... The beauty of what this this is, I feel like, which is that out of context, you can you're you're able to rep- appreciate what end up being very interesting albums. Like, uh, there's a song on there called "Rock and Roll Ghost," which is he says that today is the only song that he ever wrote that makes him cry now. Ah. Uh. Well, you know, and you go. I'm alone, I have no cause To think about the shit we used to know That made us know Well, you came And you stayed No one here to raise a toast be my guest and I will be a host To a rock and roll ghost To a rock and roll ghost It's, uh, it's really beautiful. It's, it's actually extremely heartfelt. Mm. Uh, but something about it, it it kind of wasn't the right thing for them at the right time, and they're the the great also one of the great also ran bands of the '80s, and that's kind of why the cult persists. Uh, and I love Paul Westerberg, and I and I, but I've come to realize that I, "Don't Tell a Soul" is actually the record of theirs I put on the most. Huh. It's sort of like "Don't Tell Anyone," right? Right. Because because there's the effects laden guitars and the the the, the like compression, way too much compression. Yeah, right. Even some gated drums. Yeah. Um. So I've I find by the way last year though they re- released a sort of the original mix of it that was done by Matt Wallace who recorded it with oh them, okay who ended up working with like Faith No More and stuff uh huh and um and by the way it was always it was on Reprise which I think was Neil Young's original label right uh and they stripped out a lot of the effects they okay. kind of yeah, went yeah, back yeah. it's kind of this new trend of going back to like the artist's original vision mm-hmm. and they resequenced it and. It's it's great too. It feels more like an actual replacements record, uh-huh. but I highly recommend it. They retitled it even called they call it Dead Man's Pop. Okay, so that's my first record. Awesome. Uh, it outs me as a as a like a, a total sellout of a replacements fan or the mats. But uh, I know I know that you're not because of how I would uh, how contend. Vocal, yeah. I would contend yeah. that I am a deeper fan of the replacements result, yeah. because I, I champion this record yeah i've gone on rec i've gone i publicly I think now you, i think you much. can only yeah you can only come out in public and make such a bold claim if you are a true fan to know it all and then say this is the best so well they swung it. for the fences and they basically missed that too so that's why i love them so much that's awesome <laughs> and that's the the spirit of the band yeah that's the spirit. Of, it actually ends up being 
another in a series of failures that <laughs> makes me like them so much. It just happens to be the most listenable one of those failures. Right, 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 right. Uh, side of possibly pleased to meet me. But that's um that's my that's my first record. What do you got? Okay, so uh, we've got some common themes here uh, with the next album I chose, which <laughs> is probably the longest title of an album that uh, we've talked about, which is Give a Monkey a Brain and He'll Swear He's the Center of the Universe, which is a Fishbone album that came out in 1993. Um, Fishbone is a band that I have not listened to really in uh 25 years i mean that's it's sort of a deep cut at this point i yeah. happen to uh fishbone to me is in the same like waters as primus yeah so the majority of the band with the exception of the front man angelo moore um all were south central kids mm-hmm. who were bussed to the valley as part of integration to go to high school. Huh, okay. And Angelo Moore was a Jehovah's Witness kid who lived in uh, Woodland Hills in the Valley and was a black guy who didn't see many other black kids. Right, okay. So he gravitates towards these guys who are from South Central. Uh, but these guys hole up in uh, Norwood Fisher's The Bass Player, who is... It, the comparison to Primus is, is right on because the bass licks in fishbone are are badass and prominent um because he's basically he he was the the captain of the band and the sound is just a hodgepodge of of these funk influences these soul influences but then they're gigging out in the valley in the early 80s which is the punk explosion okay so they're at punk clubs and they've got a horn section, well, not a section, but a couple of them play horns, strong drum beats, heavy bass, and Angelo Moore is this crazy frontman who just does like David Lee Roth level acrobatics on, on stage and just like is wild eyed and possessed and, you know, almost like, um, uh, uh, who's the guy who I put a spell on you, uh, uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins, like, like, you know, possesses the audience, right? And they're just this sight to behold, and and they, there's some consistency, but I mean, you could say they're punk, you could say they're ska, you could say, and they're not really metal at this point, but they're just sort of everything. Yeah. Um, and they make a name for themselves, and they're sort of these this band that these up and coming punk bands love, um, and so. I coming circling back to why I was like I think these guys are cool mm-hmm. <laughs> is that you saw that fishbone logo everywhere yeah I remember for a the logo certain moment in the, the 80s logo. and it's because like they kind of dressed like superheroes a little bit right I mean they they took on the sort of parliament funkadelic yeah. vibe right like, they're sort of characters. very out there dress like like yeah. right okay. yeah absolutely they show up on on MTV um, but it, really that logo. Um, they 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 make a, a few because they're sort of, sort of so visually stunning. Um, 
you see them in movies at the time. They were in Back to the Beach uh, with Annette Funicello in 1987. Uh, they're in I'm Gonna Get You, Sucka, um, which is a hilarious and great movie. Um, they are in... Bean soda. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Party. <laughs> uh, the logo appears on T-shirts in Mo Money. Uh, Damon Wayans has a stand-up bit about being in a mosh pit at a Fishbone concert. There's just all these pop culture moments. Uh, there's sticker Fishbone stickers in Beverly Hills 90210 on the lockers that show up over and over again. Tim Robbins wears a uh, Fishbone t-shirt in Bull Durham. And get, are you ready for this? John Cusack wears a Fishbone shirt in the In Your Eyes boombox scene in Say Anything. Linking him to Peter Gabriel and Genesis. Full circle. Once and for all. Okay, all right. <laughs> I didn't, I mean, they, they seem like they're a band that logo almost outpaces, more people like the logo than the music. Yeah, and I think it's, it. you know, they, they, uh, cool people like them. Yeah. Which does a lot. And so there's a lot of this, there's big momentum. Yeah. Um, the label is paying attention at this point. They get, uh, 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 they're on, SNL uh, with Jeremy Irons. That's uh, which the I, video you sent that me. That I is sent you today. Bonkers, it's, and it's really it's really good. good. If you can find that, it's it's really worth watching. That's I would call the it SNL. high energy. I mean, it was there for uh, sure. I mean, didn't... Angelo Moore has a staff or like a cane, and he's whipping it around, and you're so sure that he's gonna like knock one of his bandmates in the head, and somehow he manages not to. It just makes me feel like he was enough of a loose cannon that like that may have happened. I mean, if there's a doc- documentary called Everyday Sunshine about um, them, and uh, he's jumping off like uh, lighting rigs, like into <laughs> a mosh pit, like two stories. You're like, this dude is right. He's going for it. Right, okay, okay. Um, but anyway, so they have this uh, this album called uh, The Reality of My Surroundings, which has Everyday Sunshine, which was kind of an MTV hit, um, and Sunless Saturday, which is a, a really good song. That is a great song. I know uh, that song. Enough to have them percolating. So there's a lot of expectation on this next album, which comes out in 1993, but it's also um, right after the L.A. Riots. And within the band, there's tons of uh, uh, naturally disillusionment about L.A. and about the future. And so this album shapes into something darker than what is traditionally Fishbone. So what, what you have is that the expectations of the fans then uh, listening to this, what would be their biggest studio album and and to the fans it sounds like some kind of sellout situation Mm -hmm. but what's really going on is the band is self-producing um and there's a lot it's very democratic a lot of voices want a lot of things and so it's it's chaos yeah and at the same time um kendall jones who's the lead guitarist uh is really getting into like a, a metal sound, which is what you hear on this this There's album. A, when I when I listened to it, I thought this is far more metal than I associate with Fishbone. Right. Well, you, you gotta you gotta yeah, play me play something that. here. Um, so I'm gonna play you a, a song called Servitude, which I feel like hits the uh, the metal of it all.
So it's it's like an Alice Alice in Chains it sound. Sounds a little almost. like Faith No More, actually. Yeah, to Faith me. No More for sure. Um, but the the lyrics, interestingly, the previous albums had heavy lyrics um, that are are topical and political, but yet the sound is light and fun. Mm-hmm. But now we've got dark sound with dark themes this that song servitude is an indictment of power and any sort of like soldier for the system and they're taking it all on right so it's a lot does the record do well i mean does it alienate things? no <laughs> this that's why we're talking about it people that's yeah right it's it's uh it's it, it's it kind it's, of it's it, dismissed it's okay it's not what pe- people were hoping for. No, but I, I so I think it's pretty fascinating because we shift gears from those two sort of metal sound, sounding songs into this a little bit of a metal anthem called Black Flowers. Too. I, I mean, I really like it. It sounds I, I a little too like Living Color. Yeah, and I like Living Color just because it sounds like a soul vocalist almost on top of like really loud. And they're they're you know they're harmonizing, but it 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 almost it cracks me up that what they're saying. Can you imagine trying to harmonize and doing take after take when the band is falling apart and you're singing these words like the auction blocks of castrated dreams? It's just like, oh gosh, God, that's got to be miserable in the <laughs> studio. Um, but then there's an upbeat song. Uh, it starts again. There, it's loaded. It's it's about racism, but the, then it has an idealism in it, and it's the first song in the album that has that sort of traditionally fishbone sound uh, called unyielding conditioning. Together, 
we were looking at these, I almost went into sort of the Clash uh, um, yeah. world because yeah. uh, I think there's some really reviled records out there, like their their final album without Mick Jones. People absolutely hate. Right. Sandinista is pretty much not liked very much, but Big Audio Dynamite. They have a, yeah, yeah. They have a record where Mick Jones and Joe Strummer got back together, number number ten, Upping Street or something like that. It's a great record. That. But um, Big Audio Dynamite sounds a little like kitchen sinky yeah that that i like but at the time it's just hard to it took a lot of work and right which is how you feel about about this it's dense um there's that thing that they say about fishbone which is that the live experience was like uncapturable Mm -hmm. um however i feel like this album has so much chaotic energy in it that you can get actually a taste of what the real band is. It's the last um, time that lineup is together. And they've got, I mean, it does get darker. They have a song called uh, Warmth of Your Breath. And the, the the chorus is, may your dog's colon be familiar with the warmth of your breath. <laughs> <laughs> they have one called Drunk Schizo. May which your is- dog's colon be familiar with the warmth of your breath. Uh-huh. Okay, guys. <laughs> um, but it it's li- the more you listen to it, the sort of the more infectious it is. Drunk Schizo ha- goes from chaotic, like punk aggression. Uh, my dad's a drunk. My mom's a schizo, and then eventually saying, "I'm a drunk. I'm a schizo." But then it shifts into this like Miles Davis bitches brew jazzy thing in the second half of the song. Um, I, I'm just, I, I'm like taken with it. And then there's one that's also dark called They <laughs> They All Have Abandoned Their Hopes. Goodness which gracious. Which is like New Orleans, like Caribbean dirge funeral march. But it's this uh, condemnation of corporate culture that is so fitting today. It ages so well. All, all of these lyrics are almost like they told us then we didn't pay attention, and now we are fucked. <laughs> like, Fishbone, fish guys. Bone. They, they were the prophets. They had it. They, um, what but, happened to Fishbone after this, though? So, okay, it's a, it's, it's a good story, and I recommend uh, watching this doc. But so on this album... Did it tank them completely? It did tank them completely, but mostly it was self-sabotage because um, the Kendall Jones, the, the guitarist basically has a mental break during this this album okay um probably sort of in the doc they sort of say it it begins with the the riots and and the anger um but then it's it starts to fester and his father who he had this antagonistic relationship with his father comes back in his life and his father is a cult figure and he joins a cult with his father in Northern California. Um, and Norwood Fisher and Kendall's brothers go up, and his ex fiance go up to try to get Kendall out of the cult. They, so much so that they have him like in a hold, and he's so resistant that the brothers say, like, you know what, I, I think, like, he seems content here. Let's just, like, <laughs> let, let's just stop. They do. And then Kendall uh, brings us uh, a civil suit against them, and they have to go to court, and they almost go to jail. Uh, 
for trying to rescue him. For trying to rescue him from a cult. It's all over MTV News. There's like Kurt Loder reports and like all this stuff. And like Porno for Pyros is like doing um, a concert to, to help pay for uh, Norwood Fisher's legal fees and all this I, stuff. I think it's of like them as part of like basically the Jane's Addiction kind of scene. And they are. For yeah. sure, it's a Lollapalooza like right. crew, and uh, obviously, like Red Red Hot Chili Peppers, like came up with them. Um, but uh, any that that's sort of the beginning of the end. However, they're still playing around. They just lose bit by bit. They lose core members, right? Um, until it's just Fisher and uh, Angelo Moore, um, and uh, nothing's quite as good as uh, I. I think. I mean. Reality of My Surroundings is a great sort of core like fish fishbone album, but this one to me is is so interesting, and I'll just I'll leave a leave us with um, one really sort of beautiful, almost Prince sounding song called Lemon Meringue. I see you setting up your shot. I'm gonna get out of your range. I never seen you sad sorry song. Lemon Meringue. Sour to the taste, but sweet to the tune. Death by sacrination, but the criminal child is a saint. A chance to tell the crimes of the cruel. A chance to Sounds like a, a kind of a circus a type yeah. vibe, and when you if you watch that video of them on was, SNL, it was a circus time. It was a circus time, but it was a circus vibe, and how you could contain that much energy with that many moving pieces because it's an enormous group, right? Um, I think there was just a lot of it inviting. was combustible, shall we say? Yeah, combustible. and when 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 one tried to be a leader, mm-hmm. the others didn't react well to it, and it just kept shifting. Well, I'm going to go into my second record, which is a hard one to talk about, but there's there are links galore to what we've just spoken about. So uh, I will say this, that I don't know of any other record in uh, pop history oh boy. that that's the campaign, the, the, the marketing campaign for it included floating an enormous life, uh, like... 10 times like a hundred foot statue of the artist down the river Thames, like on a tugboat. And so what I'm talking about is the 1995 record by Michael Jackson called history. Well, it's history continues really. It's really known as history or history volume two, but history continues. It's the second disc of the history compilation, which was kind of doomed from the start. Cause he decided this is Michael Jackson. So, now, wait, wait it, it's a compilation. It's a greatest hits or what it, is it? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, so he decides after, you know, dangerous, had, had done extremely well, maybe right. not quite as well as bad, but you know those are impossible, and thriller those are impossible standards to get to. Uh, the MJ that we're dealing with in 1995 has had his first major accusation of ah. of, uh, of abuse, yeah, and um, so he's he's kind of become the wacko Jacko character. Oh right, um, and I'm not going to, by the way, comment on the his personal life that much because yeah. it's 
it's kind of it's semi impossible to do that while t- talking about this record, but I want to try to take the record itself. Right. Um, so he decides to release a double disc collection, which is the first disc is called um, "History Begins," which is nothing but his greatest hits as a solo artist. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just a basically his first greatest hits that includes all the stuff that we would know from Off the Wall and Thriller, Bad, and History. Uh, right. Sorry, and Dangerous. And then the second disc is his new record. Okay. It's his new record. And it is for that reason, it's kind of overlooked. It's one of one of sure. the reasons why this is overlooked. Right. But there are, you know, it's a record with fifteen new songs. Fifteen new Michael Jackson songs in nineteen ninety five, which in America he's already being met with some uh, shall we say, suspicion. But uh, in the rest of the world he's still the largest you yeah, know, right. star that's ever been lived. So he he puts together this record uh, called History, um, and it is a fascinating collection. A lot of people would say, most people who have listened to it would say that it is his most personal record, uh, in that it starts out with Scream, um, and it is nothing but a sort of a blast of like, stop being in my face, I'm a human being. Uh, he's kind of he's had enough, right? And it's an angry Michael Jackson record, like a truly angry Michael Jackson. This is not heal the world, right. Michael Jackson. This right. is angry Michael Jackson. And if pe- you remember, you know the 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 video for Scream, I think at the time I'm fairly certain was the most um, expensive uh, video ever made because okay. it had so much. His sister sings on it. It's so much uh, computerized graphics, but the the song itself is fabulous. This is it. of I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, stop messing with me. And then he, at one point he says, stop fucking with me. Like uh-huh. it's, it's a Michael Jackson is usually been seen as like a right. child-friendly artist. <laughs> I mean, this is hard to talk about. The second, Scream, though, is one of his greatest, if you can tune out the 
and I know it's a long, it's a lot to ask of people, but it is he's working with all the top basically our black producers of the time. Right. Uh, the second song on there is called They Don't Care About Us. Mm-hmm. Which was, some people say Kanye West was quoting when he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. Mm-hmm. Remember when he said that? Yeah. Uh, they Don't Care About Us is a almost like a rap song. It's just the beat and him sort of singing over it right. at an incredible bridge. <laughs> his response to the LA riots right it is when you talk about fishbone talking about you know systemic racism michael jackson's uh, they don't care about us left such a mark in people that after george floyd was murdered uh spike lee went back to the video he made for they don't care about us and he interspersed it with footage from last summer oh wow because michael jackson had made two videos for it one in brazil and one though was him in a jail in a prison Uh and he's going crazy it's a very very angry song uh but it's spike lee by the way directed a fishbone video see there you go it this album though opens then it goes into a song called stranger in moscow yeah, I remember that. Which yeah, yeah. is, uh, it's a, Michael sort of a beatboxing, and it's this very sad I will sad say that song. those first two tracks that you played like are, are extremely interesting. That same sort of instinct that I had with, with going after Landing on Water. Yeah. Uh, it, it's that, like, what's going on in this period when an artist is is not in the pocket anymore, not in the sweet spot and and needing to look for something new and in this those songs have that <laughs> i mean scream starts out like a scott walker tilt i mean it's sort of i mean stranger moscow is a very sad song that he wrote in moscow about being alone being yeah. lonely i mean this is
the things about Michael that was uh, on the outskirts of his music that really worked well for him was Paranoia. Right. He not only did the chorus for Somebody's Watching Me, he did Billie Jean is a paranoid song. Smooth Criminal is a very paranoid song. The song Who Is It is a very paranoid song. There's something about his vocals, something about his brand of uh, um, artistry or, you know, in mental illness, whatever you want to call it, lent itself to songs about paranoia. This whole record is deeply, deeply paranoid. And... Um, there's, I could go on and on about it. There's, you are not alone is on there, which had one of the creepiest videos of all time. <laughs> what was it? Uh, it was him with Lisa Marie Presley, who he, oh, yeah. the, you know, the king of pop has to date the right, right. They uh, married, right? They married, and you know, like everything here, you just, it's very it's hard all manufactured. It's or... just a, who knows what's going on. Right. But the pain at the heart of the <laughs> music is clearly authentic. Yeah. You, you are not alone was. A, <laughs> This is terrible. It was written by R. Kelly. Oh, God. <laughs> so, but it turns out... Perfect storm. <laughs> R. Kelly had plagiarized it from two Danish guys. What? And they who successfully sued. So, You Were Not Alone was a worldwide hit, but it was banned in Denmark. <laughs> Sorry, in Belgium, I think. In okay. Belgium. They sued R. Kelly. They didn't sue Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's just like he's just covering it. I think there's a song on there called "Childhood," which is another sort of creepy song. Then he has a song called "Little Susie," which has him uh, arranging all of these like the Pia Yesu beforehand, and Uh it's his classical music. Tabloid junkie is him confronting the sort of you know he has Paparazzi. Biggie Smalls does it because a couple of verses on some of these songs. So does Shaquille O'Neal raps on one of the songs. Oh yeah. History is a song, one of these classic Michael Jackson songs where he tries to encompass the entire universe. And um, he has the I Have a Dream speeches in that. Uh-huh. And I kind of like that song. It's a lesser known song. Yeah. But the big the big showstopper on this record, which was huge in the rest of the world, but not in America, was called Earth Song. Which again... Which is, I listened to and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that song. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Michael sort of calling out the entire human race and then proclaiming his own complicity it's a he worked on it for something like 7 or 8 years he, oh, it was wow. he considered it to be his greatest song okay earth song um so i think it's a very interesting record it's a very eccentric record from what who might be one of the most eccentric artists we've ever you know incubated that's fair but then a year later, he puts out the Blood on the Dance Floor EP, which is sort of part of it, History Remixed. Does this have the song that I sent to you? Yes, because yeah. it's got Blood on the Dance Floor itself, which is a, one of his wonderful... It's another paranoid anthem. It's incredible, but it's yeah. overlooked because he's just... It's impossible to overlook. It's too much to ask of people to sort of not take into account his private life at right, this point. Right, right, right. And at this point, by nothing is very clear. Right. Uh, he makes a movie with Stephen King called Ghosts, which is... What? Yeah, it's a... And he, like, does all this dancing. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good, but it was uh, buried because... Of is no it, one. like, a feature it's length? It's about 35 minutes long. And Stephen King wrote the screenplay for it, and Michael did all the... There's dancing and stuff, and it's it's kind of like a really long music video, and it got okay. buried. No one wanted to watch it, but it's... Stan Winston did all of the... What? All of the... Uh, it's like a horror stuff? It's horror. I mean, it's it's like taking... Wait, is it on YouTube stuff. or something? You can watch it all there. Oh, wow. 
And it's like what, taking all the thriller effects, but like times 50. You right. Know? Um, but there's a song in there called Morphine. Wow. There's a song in there called yeah, Morphine, yeah, yeah. which is another song that he worked on incessantly. And it's right. got This is the one that like stopped me. It's got slash on guitar. And every time I've ever played Morphine for people, they just don't know what to do. <laughs> Uh, it's got Slash playing this riff, and it's got him singing like like he's in deep pain. Yeah. And then everything stops, and there's a classical background, and he starts singing about Demerol. Right. He says, oh, God, he's taking Demerol. Let's play it for you. Yeah. like watching uh, The Wizard of Oz with Pink Floyd on. <laughs> you know, I was just like, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I have to tell our listeners, as I've been speaking about Michael Jackson, Lex is visibly uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, as you can imagine, it's it's a web of problematic material here. But you have um, Michael Jackson, we have to reckon with him in some way. He's, yeah, he's, he's for too, sure. He's too deep a part of our... and. Um, uh, uh, part of this culture, but history is—it um, is the cry of a man in enormous pain. For sure. And whether or not that cry could be heard, wanted to be heard, I, you know, whether or not he was too uh, insulated from reality already—I yeah. would say he was. Basically, I think Michael Jackson. I mean, he was had, born in. He never had a shot, you yeah, know. Right. And especially if you've got that much talent. But when you hear morphine, you're sort of like. There's such a there's a there's like a you know when when it gets to that bridge, right? You're thinking like, wow, this is um this is a human being and not right. just a not this icon and this industry and this horror almost that yeah, people yeah, have yeah, yeah. right uh, so, right. He's sort of a Frankenstein, I think, in in people's. But morphine eyes. is such something that meant so much to him, but you hadn't even heard it. I mean, like no. a lot of this was buried in the United States and. Um, it took me discovering it later, and I find it to be my, I think it's this artistic high, high watermark, and people would say, no way. You know, off the wall, it never gets better than that, Quincy yeah, yeah. Jones. For me, I think uh, history is like someone calls it his plastic Ono band. Huh. 
Um, he also does a cover of Come Together on here, by the way. Right. When did I get into it? Okay, there's some, you know, it's it's a 15-track album that could easily be 10. Right. And if you add Blood on the Dance Floor, it's like, you know, 18 or, you know, 20 songs. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't at the time. It wasn't 95 or, or when Blood on the Dance Floor Blood came on the Dance Floor came out in 97. Uh, History Continues came out in 95. He, um, Yeah, this is our, our... We didn't know what to do with Michael Jackson at this point. But I mean, were you like... Did you buy that album? When I it did came not. It, okay. I came across it much later. Okay. Um, so that's a record that is doesn't... I think it's not just underrated. I think it's a an achievement whether or not we want to... You know, it, it's so complicated. I want to acknowledge that, but I also want to say that the record itself kind of blows me away. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it also makes sense that it may continue to be buried deeper and deeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, probably so. Um, but he also kind of buried it by putting it on the second half of a greatest hits record. It's true. Like with a lot that of is his a weird. Has that? I feel that feels familiar to me. Yeah, maybe it's more of like a great a, a greatest hits collection, and there's three new songs on it type of thing. Yeah. But this is a whole a whole album. album. Uh, it's uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Are you sure you want to? <laughs> because sort of I think you know what's next. Oh God, what's coming? Miley Cyrus and her dead pets. <laughs> Actually, I I love this record. Yeah, this was 2015. I was listening to new releases as they came out like excitedly no matter what they were i i I was i was game Mm -hmm. and (laughs) when i saw miley cyrus and her dead pets i thought this sounds really interesting and from you know the first the first five seconds i was like this is not what i think i know you know Miley Cyrus to be in fact I didn't know much about Miley Cyrus except for that you know she was a a a tweeny pop star so when she 2015 she's 23 um she's on tour for her previous album Bangers which is what you would expect a pop star to the type of album you'd expect a pop star to have the Flaming Lips were part of this bangers tour and the collaboration expands into an album that is i would call it's a stoner album and she it's clearly a had sex dis- album. discovered a like it's from the very beginning like at the very beginning of the record she's talking about pot yeah it's 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 a trippy album and and like i said it's also very open and honest and plain about her sex life yeah um and it's it comes together in the most fascinating and listenable to my ears uh, way. It is not a mainstream pop album. No, and it's a, such a left turn from an yeah. artist of such high stature. Right. That I remember when this came out. She, the The way I knew about it was she shared a video of herself wearing like a unicorn costume or a lion costume, and she's singing a song about. Pablo the Blowfish. Yeah, which and it's like she's weeping. She's right. weeping, and you you get the sense there might be some substance involved. Yeah, but there's also some emotion, and it's but about. But it also her- captures a, a like an age, yeah. right? Twenty three, sort of ex- exploding into freedom. Mm-hmm. She has 
theoretically all the resources in the world as a um, famous, you know, rich, popular person. Yeah. And so she's sort of indulging in self, but she's doing it in an incredibly artistic and um, interesting way with a very interesting artist at her side. And the results are are so play me pretty play wild. me one of your so favorite songs. I think <laughs> <laughs> so. Do it is a pretty strong opener, which just has sort of a, like a basic beat and a bass vibration to it, with almost like a hip hop voice. So that makes an impression, and then it goes into Karen, don't be sad, which is this sort of. Sweet, um, keep your chin up, Karen song. It's pre Karen as Karen. That's what's hilarious <laughs> is that listening to it with uh, 2020 slash 2021 ears, um, this song becomes takes on a, a new meaning, which is uh, which makes it even like dearer to my heart. Um, so let me get, let me get that going. I love this song. Okay. Gotta try to understand Gotta hold on to your soul Cause they'll crush it if they can So can don't be sad But just Honesty on that this song album. Sounds to, that song to me sounds as much like the Flaming Lips as anything else on the right. record. Totally true. Like it has that euphoric yeah. psychedelia yeah. that I love of theirs. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, there's songs on here that are. I mean, do, do you know? Well, the Floyd song is the next song, and that's about her dog Floyd that was killed by coyotes. So that's the first Dead Pets song. And then. We get into a sequence. It, Floyd, about, the Floyd song, by the way, is beautiful. Yeah, it's and so is Pablo the Blowfish, which is towards the end of the album, which is another dead pet song, which is kind of hilarious. And Pablo the Blowfish, I miss you so. Decide. 
So someone chose sushi I got soup And I ordered rice But watching my friends eat my friends Ruin my appetite puts on um, emotion towards the end of Pablo the Blowfish and she cries in the song, but like, I almost cry. Like also Pablo, uh, she wishes she had let him go. So he marries a, a seahorse and like what magic that would be. <laughs> so stonery. I mean, it's very stonery. Um, but so then there's this sequence about um, this space lover that she has. There's something about a space dude and space boots. And then there's a bunch of sex. Space boots is good. Space boots is good. I really. <laughs> BB talk is really good. BB talk. I love Fweeky because it's, she's just doing away with um, pop innuendo. She's saying, <laughs> why are we putting a shine on this? Like we're talking about having sex and like, it's going to get freaky. And, but it sounds like a pop ballad. And yet the lyrics are almost like, you know, something that Trina might uh, have sung 15 years before in a, like a raunchy hip hop song, you know, and it may, it almost paves the way for like, you know, Megan the, the Stallion and, and WAP. That's, and I mean, there's the song, um, I think it's called but, Bang, Bang Me Box. Yep. Thank it's you. It's a, it, it's a great song. I'm always sleeping naked cause you wake up and you're great Again, that sense of humor that she clearly has is just just weaves throughout all these songs. Bang and, my box. I mean, how great is that? You do get the sense that she's going through something. I mean, for sure. She's, uh, and and because she her 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 career is sort of back on track after this record, but it's a major detour from someone kind of um, milky milky milk. Oh goodness! <laughs> they, I mean, milky milky milk has the line. Let me see if I can find it. Your lips get me so wet. While I'm singing all the verses to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, <laughs> I mean that's what you're dealing with here, and it's. I mean, it's she's awesome. al- remember she's also dealing with Hannah Montana, and I think she is stars in that. Um, I think that's over by then, though. Right? Oh, it's way over then. Yeah. But she's got got this uh, Kitty Bopper thing that she's 
reckoning with and i'm sure those kids are still in the audience (laughs) what are their parents (laughs) bang my box comes on they but they also have um isn't there uh she stars in an episode of black mirror around this time and if you haven't seen that episode of black mirror it's about her as a pop star basically being drugged into doing in a kind of being a virtual version of herself it's it, it to me when that came out, it felt like it was part of this record. Yeah, that's um, I think that's fair. And, and then, you got the sense, well, Miley Cyrus is doing something more interesting than just writing dance songs or just swing, sure. swinging around on a wrecking ball, or even just being reactive to her, you know, image as a kid. Like I think she's she's got an artistic streak. And if anyone's heard her, like her new record, which is a rock record, yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, she's always making bold choices. I have sort of been waiting for her to sort of come back to this, but I don't, I think that this was a moment. Yeah, you know, think, she's ever changing, and and this is just going to be what it's going to be. But you mentioned "Evil Is But a Shadow." That's an awesome sort of trippy song, and "Cyrus Skies" is also amazing. I mean, her name is in half of these. Which is <laughs> there's Miley Tibetan uh, bowls, which her dad plays on. Um, but I just wanted to play one more song, which was uh, "Twinkle Song," which is about. It's basically she's screaming for someone, anyone, to explain her dreams because they're, they're torturing her. And I had a dream We robbed the record store The one with the yellow door We stole every goddamn record they had And I had a dream That I didn't give a fuck But I give a fuck I miss you so bad I think I might die but what does it mean what does it all mean I had a dream but what did it mean what does it mean I just want to scream what does it mean what does it mean I just want to scream I just want to scream I just want to scream what does it mean what does it mean what does it mean I had a dream but what does it mean what does it mean I had a dream but what does it mean what does Yeah. 
I think she's a really interesting person. I mean, by the way, we we didn't really make the connection, but childhood stardom um, rarely spells good things for a person's mental health, but it does spell good things often for their art, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess that's um, true. You know, because we had that with with Jackson. It gives you so much to. Um, I mean, so much these... emotional fuel to be angry about. And all these these albums come to terms with hard fought reconciliation. As you uh, you may have said this before, but these are all transition albums. These are all like change happening, like pushing against um, barriers, shedding skin. That's what these albums are. And it's interesting to me that they're in the moment generally considered bad. Bad, yeah. Because people don't know how to handle like, they don't know where the big th- shifts. where it's going. Yeah, you can look back on them and be like, again, oh, it's it's yeah, like it's like when when you can take out "Don't Tell a Soul" from what it represented to people and their over attachment to the band and the image and stuff like that. Or Miley has we have this she's this teen queen. You know, it's like there's so much of this image that they're playing with. If you can then sort of like. 10 to 15 years later and that's only seven years ago but you basically revisit just the music right a lot of the detritus a lot of the attachments have sort of fallen by the wayside and often what you discover now i happen to like that record when it came out yeah um what you discover is those tend to be like the most interesting things that people do for sure and they they have big influence on other artists well i'm gonna go to the last one are you ready for this (laughs) not really no because (laughs) i i almost i want to share an email with you i was like i think i have a memory of when i first heard this album and i sure enough i look back in my inbox inbox and i can read you if you'd like read it to me this this is dated june 23rd 2008 oh boy can you guess what it is, everyone? <laughs> the subject heading says, you'll need rose-colored glasses, dot, 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 to see what the hell he was thinking. Have you listened to Chinese democracy yet? What the fuck is that? <laughs> it sounds like Chris Daughtry produced a Jamiroquai album. Where's Izzy when you need him? Ooh. I, I wrote that. Ooh. Like an asshole. That is... I mean, talk about expectation coming into a record. This is We're talking about a Guns N' Roses record that has been sort of 14 years in the making. One day, a book will be written about the making of this record uh, because it is so convoluted. I was thinking about trying to tell the story, but I, it, there are too many people involved. I mean, if you look at the actual credits on the record, most of which are mistaken, by the way. Huh. Um, it, you have a... So, Guns N' Roses... Mid '90s, uh, Izzy Stradlin is out of there. Use your illusions have conquered the entire world. Remember, they are they're 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 big on the state on the scale of Michael Jackson. And um, Izzy's gone. They've got this Gilby Clark guy. They start to become more and more of like a, a Queen type band. Right, that's that's right, Axel's. Right, right. Is he's He's basically a megalomaniac. I mean, I, he's he's a, he's a, he's a lot of people would say he's one of the last of the great rock stars, and I I happen to agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but they implode because they're a bunch of maniacs, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and uh, drunks. And actually, I think I think pot is the uh, like is what they're really smoking huh. in the middle of the nineties. Um, they put out the spaghetti incident, which is again notoriously bad. I kind of covers record. <laughs> 
Uh, well, they cover some of our, our artists we like. That's but, true. But um, then slowly but surely things just unwind. Mm. Slash gets parts ways with Axel. Um, Duff is the one who stays the longest to like 1997. Oh, wow. Uh, Dizzy Reed is the one who actually stays the long. He kind of sticks with the band. But Matt Sorum is out. He gets a guy named Paul Tobias to who who had worked with some of the Use Your Illusion tracks to kind of work with Ax- Axel Rose does. But basically what you have is a solid decade. Yeah. To Since... Go- Spaghetti incident. Since spaghetti incident, a solid decade of no. There's. Let me. That's put, a back long up. time. The largest, the, the the biggest rock band in the world. Yeah. Doesn't release a record until the point where it gets to the point where, like in in like 1999, everyone's like, "Hey, what happened to Axl Rose? He used to be everywhere." Right. There he used were to be rumors everywhere. Right. And they finally resurface in like 2001, and he's got dreadlocks, and it's oh, he's yeah. wearing like they, they're on the MTV Music Awards, and he he's lost his voice, and he's got Buckethead is playing guitar, who's got like a KFC bucket on the top of his head, and it's it, no one knows what to make of it except for you know who's on bass, uh, Tommy Stinson of the Replacements somehow makes it onto what? the bass in the sort of reconstituted Guns and Roses. That's right. What in the world? Yeah, it's a strange, strange thing. But we're talking about dysfunction and perfectionism on a mammoth scale. They re-record Appetite for Destruction. Um, there's like one single release called Oh My God, which sounds kind of like a demo. Um, it's put on the soundtrack for a Martin, a search for, for an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, End of Days. And I'm a true believer. You know, like I happen to love everything yeah. Guns N' Roses have done barring parts of the spaghetti incident and um and then like continually executives are like put on the case of like you've got to in geffen it's geffen right 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 got to get this record out of them we've invested 13 million dollars it's the most expensive record may ever made they cut off the funding in 2005 oh my god still nothing there's a there's a brief tour which is a disaster so Um, he's getting paid money is flowing towards this, this thing, yes, yeah, okay. There's a gazillion cooks in the kitchen. Okay. I mean, we're talking. Roy Thomas Baker from Queen tries uh-huh. to Moby tries to produce. Uh-huh. Uh, Jimmy Iovine works Whoa. in on there. Uh, Youth is okay. he's another a producer on there. Uh, it just Mike Clink, the original guy, is, is in there briefly. It is uh, insane. So clearly, yeah, yeah. something has gone on with Axl Rose, and he's trying to live up to the legend of Guns N' Roses by himself. Right. And then, like, st- tracks start to leak. Uh-huh. And I'm, I, I, I... I heard it leaked. 2006, it. some tracks start to leak. It's still not coming out. It's supposed to, Every year, it's supposed to come out for years. Finally, it's released in 2008, and... When it comes out, he does no press for it. They do no uh, videos. They tour, but um, he does he does like one Q and A on their fan base page. The the it, there's rumors that the um, that the artwork isn't what was intended to be. There's typos all over the artwork. Uh, some of it sounds like it's actually not finished, and yet. One of the things about Chinese democracy, it is this paranoid um, 
uh, kitchen sink of a record. Yeah. So there will be not just two guitars on a song. There'll be 15 different right. people soloing. <laughs> and I happen to think a few of the songs on here. Now, it's ambitious. It's weird. It's, yeah. You have to come at it thinking this is not, this is a different beast. This isn't the Guns N' Roses you know. It's a strange, I called it a transmission from the paranoid planet of right. Axl Rose. <laughs> And uh, it is someone said, I think a reviewer was saying that like Robert Crisco uh-huh. in the Village Voice yeah. says that like he has completely lived up to his own utterly irrelevant standards or something like that <laughs> <laughs> because he's been laboring away at this thing yeah. that, that no one has heard. Right. Um, let me play you uh, the, my favorite song on the record is a song called There Was a Time. Yeah. It's got a great acronym of a title. Okay. Um, there was a time. Th- this is how it sounds. Broken glass and cigarettes. Lighting on the wall. It was a bargain for the summer. And I thought I had it all. I was the one who gave you everything. The one who took the fire. You were the one who would do anything. One who can recall. It's um, it's a uh, I. It, that's an epic song. It goes on for like you know seven minutes, right? And with solo after solo after solo, and you get the sense that he. It's possible that he's singing about Stephanie Seymour. <laughs> really? This is two thousand eight. Oh my possible. god! Um, there's a song on here called. Um, one of the great songs on here is called uh, uh, "Better." Is uh, "Street of Dreams" is on here. Uh, some of it really doesn't work. Some of his voice is pinched. It doesn't sound like. I think Axel. that that one. I feel like I heard auto tune in the one you just played. His voice sounds better on that than some of the songs. Yeah. There's a song on there. One of the best things about this is is, is uh, Chuck Klosterman, who uh-huh. we've quoted before. Yeah. He w- reviewed this record for I think the AV Club. <laughs> and he talked about the uh, the song Sorry. Yeah. And there's a clip in there when, when he decides to adopt like a Transylvanian accent for <laughs> one line. And no one knows why he did it. So, you like to have me and be good, But I don't want to do it. You don't know why I won't act the way you think I should. There's a lot of uh, ambition on this record, and it it doesn't it, well uh, per you know your mission statement. Uh, it's something that no one else could have created. Yes, which is interesting. Yes, I mean, especially given the backstory. I mean, it's this thing that is it's sort of a marvel. 
Yeah, a lot of people would have said that this was a George R. R. Martin thing, where the perfectionism was going right. to make it so that nothing was ever actually going to come out. And yet... It, it was forced out. It was forced out. It was clearly yeah. clutched from his hands at the last minute. Right. And um, yet there's tenderness on this record. There's a song called This I Love, which is beautiful, I think. And now I don't know why she wouldn't say goodbye seems that I had seen it in her eyes Though it might not be wise I'd still have to try With all the love I have inside I can't deny I just can't let it die Cause her heart's just like mine And she holds a pain inside So if you ask me why She wouldn't say goodbye There's a claustrophobia to this record yeah. that is palpable, and I think the songs that I like the most on it are the most claustrophobic songs on there, which are There Was a Time and uh, Madagascar, and which also has another <laughs> clip of the I Have a Dream speech. Poor MLK. <laughs> There's a song called Prostitute that it ends with the album that closer is Prostitute, which is another one of these huge sort of November Rain type statements yeah. that... It's all a little too extreme to get traction. I mean, he doesn't have yeah. anyone. And there's also a clean sound no. yeah. to it. That that that's what, it's what not I organic. remember. It sounds like it's been worked Processed. on way too much. Right. Right. But again, nothing else. You cannot contrive right. that sense of 14 right. years of work on a record. Right. Which right. is one of the things I find just deeply, deeply interesting. I think the melodies. He brings in some really beautiful melodies. His lyrics, Axl Rose is really actually a pretty phenomenal lyricist in my opinion, but the lyrics are not the strong point of this record. The strong point of this record is sort of, is sort of the, um, the vibe. Yeah. I mean that, you know, I'm sure 2008 me was reacting to the lack of punch grit and aggression that I loved about appetite and lies and, mm -hmm. you know, even parts of you use your illusion, um, I remember liking IRS that that felt like the most sort of old school Guns N' Roses. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah. got a taste of that. Better is an, another amazing song. Yeah, that, and then it sort of for me it like devolves into like, that that one. There's a weird thing where he like transitions sometimes from the like the high pitched voice that you love that's Axel that then. It goes cartoonish and becomes this whining sort of up yeah. and down zigzag thing. And it doesn't like, sound like it sounds like he's either trying to do a different voice or he can't do his old voice. Yeah, there's a lot of double tracking. If there's 15 guitars tracked on top of each other, you know that there's well, vocals on top of. This is another interesting no? thing. I think he recorded all the vocals in a week. I, I, I someone told me that there's like you believe it. I, I mean, don't know. I know that the the meaning it sounds like that. 
to you? Something like that he waited forever to record the vocals for. It's huh. all this instrumental music, and then he was like, okay, I'll record all the vocals. And his voice has been, um, you know, if you have a voice like Axl Rose uh, and you used it the way he did in the 90s, like, you're doing some damage, you know? Sure. And he Seems had the impossible. most, when you listen to those Use Your Illusion records especially, he's got about 12 different voices he uses. And some of that, that right. effortlessness is clearly gone. This record... Sounds like effort, you know. It like, uh, so I I find that it's like nothing else. Yeah. Um, I find it interesting. I find it's ultimately not on the level of this other stuff. It doesn't have any of that organic feel of the other Guns N' Roses records. Any of the sort of chemistry. Right. It's got this. Right. But it's got paranoia. It's got perfectionism, and the fact that it exists at all is really just really interesting to me. So that's what I'll say about Chinese democracy. That's awesome. I go back to it all the time. That's I, that's cool. I'm I'm so glad we did this. I almost feel like we could do it again. Oh, like I have lots of yeah, lots there's, more I could go. There's no end to, to I just have bad a feeling I was never going to get a chance to talk about Chinese democracy for posterity. Done. But I'm a, I'm a fan. I think he did as as uh, as Chuck Klosterman says, he did something good here. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people won't see it, but if you want to pat, pat the guy on the back <laughs> if you see him. I think the world shake is, his hand. The world is a, is a, is, a, is a more interesting place with Axl Rose in it. That's for sure. Not withdrawn and just yeah. That's for sure. Anyway, um, so do you want to uh, wrap up with our our discoveries this year, which of what our Spotify wrapped top songs? Yes, were? You, you tell me yours, and I'll tell you mine. All right, because well, mine are not like. Terribly, this is not the really, algorithm doesn't always tell you what you want to know. You no, know, that's like, for sure. And this is going to be the the best first example, which is my top uh, song of <laughs> yes, twenty twenty one was uh, my first night alone without you by Bonnie Raitt. What? <laughs> it's true. Are you? This I did not know this, folks. I mean, this is uh... a <laughs> well. We've been listening to a lot of 80s uh, middle-aged divorce core mm-hmm. as a result of uh, Genesis. Um, and I've also been listening to Joe Walsh in the 80s. And Bonnie Raitt fits right in there with this song about a, a long relationship that's over. And, Do you want to uh, play me a couple bars yeah, of it? Sure. It's great. There is an aching in my From the bed I can't get used to It's these little hours in the dark I dread As I spend my first night alone without you Honey, half of me has gone away On the love I learned to cling to Tomorrow I'll have to find another way To live the rest of my life alone without you I'm just a sucker for heartbreak songs. Oh I gosh. just And that's like, that's up there for me. I mean, how... It just gets you. It's just like a knife in the heart. <laughs> I mean, gosh, <laughs> Phil Collins, eat your heart out. 
You know, I don't know if she wrote. I, d- I doubt she wrote that song. But, My um, second most played artist of the year was Genesis, and I think that me too. like. It's just uh, Genesis is um, kind of overtook my music listening. Yeah. I would say I, they, they were my to top really... artist uh, was Genesis. Mine, well, we don't need to go into mine, but my uh... <laughs> what your top song? No, my top song was oh. something I didn't expect. It's actually related to the um, to the subject of of our of our thing today. This is a Spotify thing. Yeah. They, uh, Spotify found. Uh, Pete Yorn did a cover of a Stone Roses song off their huh. uh, their second record, which is known as a disa- as, huge disappointment called which Second is what Coming. Was in the in the running for you. I this. was going to mention it. It turns out my top played song of the year huh. is Pete Yorn's version of Ten Story Love Song. I mean, if this isn't, and I'm not like the I don't, Pete Yorn. I like a couple of his songs. I guess. Okay. Yeah, I don't. If know. If you're out there, Pete, you know, hey, great good work. Job. But it's a. <laughs> <laughs> Ten Story Love Song, his cover of it is uh, glorious. Here you go. When your heart is black and broken And you need a helping hand When you're so much alone You know just how much you can't stand When your questions go The vibe of yeah, it, the way that they replicate the sort of, sort of uh, you know, mad Chester drumming in a I, way. I know, I know so little about the Stone Roses. I have a huge That's, soft spot for that record. Yeah, I need to to dig in. My top artist of the year was was Morrissey. It just is like I'm in the point. But that always happens. The top point oh five percent of <laughs> listeners. I don't know what to say. Like I'm just. Uh, it's just you. It's part of you. It's just who I am, and I, you know, <laughs> there, there's what you want to tell people that you listen to, and what you actually listen to. And yeah, and for that's me, the it's, truth of it. <laughs> you're listening to Bonnie Raitt. Exactly. I'm listening to Every Day Is Like Sunday. So. Oh man. There you go. Well, um, I think we absolutely should uh, do this again. I think hopefully, hey, let us know if you guys like this and you you want to hear us do it. This do format? something like yeah, let us know and we will. Um, in the meantime, uh, look out for uh, Phil Collins and and Genesis uh, in the seventies. That's that's part one, and then part two is is the eighties and a little of the nineties. Can I just say that? There's so much gold in them hills. Like it is. Oh man! Oh man! If I was a person uh, who wasn't familiar with that music, which I was last time, th- this time last year, yeah, I can just say I think you're in for a treat, a journey, a, a gift, uh, something that is going to make your life better. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, I love it. I love it. I totally agree. Um, God, I don't know what to send us out on. Do you have something? You must. Um, 
I can find something. Uh, okay, here we go. No one ever told me when I was alone. I just thought I knew better. Ah! 